grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Jo Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Benjamin Franklin once famously said that nothing is certain except death and taxes. And yet, when it comes to procrastination, we often find that wills are at the top of the list of things that we put off until later. The problem, of course, is that death can be unexpected and it is the living who are left to cope with the consequences of the decisions made or left until too late. And adoption, as it does in most areas of life and relationships, adds an extra layer of complexity about these decisions. In the summer of 2019, we published an article by Jigsaw Western Australia counsellor Isabel Andrews about this subject and it has inspired today's episode. We often say at Jigsaw that people affected by adoption are undertaking two separate journeys, an outer and an inner journey. The outer journey is the mechanics of the situation we find ourselves in when we apply for information, compile paperwork and search. This external part of our experience can be very distracting from what is arguably the more important work of the inner journey, what we do while we wait building support networks with qualified professionals and supportive friends and family, reading about the situation we're in, talking about our feelings, moderating expectations, and considering others' perspectives. The inner and outer journeys can be applied also when it comes to death and wills. And today we're going to be examining both sides. In the first part of today's episode, we'll be speaking to an accredited specialist in succession law. And in the second part, I'll be discussing the emotional side of adoption and wills with Jigsaw Western Australia's Isabel Andrews. First up, I'm talking to Angela Cornford scott the founding director of Cornford scott Lawyers in Queensland. Angela has more than 25 years of experience in wills and estate matters and is recognised as one of Queensland's preeminent lawyers in these matters. She is an accredited specialist in succession law and specialises and practices exclusively in the area of succession law. Thank you for joining us, Angela. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise. You're welcome. Could I start by asking you if succession law is legislated by the states or federally? It's actually state-based legislation, so unfortunately it does differ throughout each jurisdiction of Australia. Yeah, just makes it that little bit more confusing for people. It certainly does, and it's hard if you live on the border. It would be, yes. (laughs) Could I start, um, sorry, what can you tell us about an adopted person's legal rights when it comes to inheritance from their adoptive family and their biological family and how that differs? So as you know, when a person is adopted, it effectively changes their parentage and their their lineage, in fact. Um, So they then become a lineal descendant and and considered a natural child of the adoptive parents. So that is now their new family and their rights are associated with that new family. 
their relationship with their biological family is effectively severed by that adoption. So the rights in relation to the biological family are affected by that um, legal adoption. Yeah. Um, losing a parent at any age can be stressful and, and painful, but when you're a child who hasn't been provided for in a will, it's even more difficult. Can you tell us about what rights um, an adopted child has to contest an adoptive parent's will? Uh, well, it is very stressful if you've been left out of a will, I agree. Um, but if you're looking at the adopted, the adoptive parents' wills, the child has a legal relationship with them. So they are considered for all purposes legally as a child of those parents. So if they have been left out of their will, they have the rights as a child to bring a claim seeking further provision from the estate of those adoptive parents, the same as a naturally born child would uh, of those parents. Okay. So what about a biological parent's will if you haven't been um, left anything in a biological parent's will? Well, that's very different because unfortunately that relationship has been severed. Uh, so the child is no longer considered legally a child uh, of those parents. So they have no rights as a child as such. Um, in fact, they're not a child of those parents any longer. So they have no rights as such as a child to um, bring an application or um, the rights that would otherwise pass to children of, yeah. of a normal parent. So what happens if um, a biological parent hasn't... Um, did I just ask that? No. I'm getting all no, confused. No, no sorry. Yeah. I'll start again. What happens if a biological parent hasn't left a will? Can an adopted person contest that will? They can't on the basis that they're a child because they're not a child of that biological parent. Mm -hmm. um, if you die without a will, you're considered to die intestate. And there is state legislation that basically governs how your assets will be distributed. And that legislation is based on the foundation of who are the legally recognised children. So as a biological parent, the adopted child is no longer a legally recognised child. So they have no rights under the uh, intestacy laws, as we, as we call them. But they also have no rights as a child to seek to bring a claim against the estate because they are not legally considered to be a child of that biological parent. Mm -hmm. What if the adoptive person has formed a dependent relationship with the biological parent? Is it possible then to contest the will? So that does change. That does change things. Now, the laws around Australia are all different in relation to this. So I'm going to tell you what happens in Queensland. But if you're a child who is under the age of 18 years and you become what's called wholly or substantially maintained or supported by that biological parent, you do have the rights to bring a claim against the estate. Unfortunately, if you're over 18 in Queensland, you will not have those same rights. There, there's as I said, there's different laws in New South Wales, um, Victoria in particular, where if you were part of the household at some point in time, you may be able to bring a claim against the estate. So it's very important to, um, you know, to understand what the laws might be in each jurisdiction if you're in that situation. Yeah. And could I just ask, um, what does dependent mean in, those, in these circumstances? What would class as dependent? So dependent means 
um, you know, it means more than getting gifts or, or, you know, ad hoc financial support. It means that you are completely relying on someone to be able to, you know, pay the rent or they're providing a house for you to live in at a, you know, at a reduced um cost or indeed you're living with them uh, they're providing care for you so it needs to be you know it's it's it, I guess it's akin to what you would think is a, a parent-child relationship where a child is effectively relying on that parent for the provision of care and financial support yeah given your years of experience in succession law can I ask if you've encountered many of these scenarios I haven't actually encountered a lot because the law is fairly clear about once there's an, an adoption, you know, in what family do you have those legal relationships? So it's not contested a lot. And I, I've never seen a situation where uh, the adopted child has become a dependent of the biological parents. I've been involved in many situations where that relationship has formed um, and the, the adopted child has formed a relationship with a biological parent and then they have left a gift under their will to that child. But so long as they leave a gift under the will, that's quite proper and it's quite legally effective. Yeah, which brings me to my next question, which is what would your advice be to a biological parent who wants to include the child they lost to adoption in their will? So they do need to make sure they've got a valid will in place um, and that that will makes that makes that specific provision. So you have to be careful about, you know, the language that's used in a will. So you can't just say, I leave everything to my children and think that that will include that adopted child because it will not. Um, so you need to be specific and say, I leave you know, and you name the child uh, and the gifts that you intend to leave to them. So it's very important that it's that specific. Yeah. Given the strong emotions that can come up after a death when these wills um, are read, would you recommend that the biological parents speak to their family before they um, before they pass so that they can let them know what's in the will? Um, Yes, I, I strongly recommend that. I'm a firm believer that transparency is very important when it comes to, to dealing with these things. The last thing that anyone wants is a surprise after a loved one dies. Um, and, you know, a surprise just does not leave a very nice legacy uh, for the rest of the family who maybe had no idea that this person existed, uh, had, you know, had no idea about the nature of that relationship. So it's a, not a very nice thing to do to, to not tell your family about it uh, and to leave it as a surprise uh, once you've passed away. And like anything in, in, with a will, you know, I encourage all of my clients, regardless of their circumstances, just to be transparent because if people understand and have an expectation uh, of what the will should say and that differs from what the will in fact says, usually you've got a problem. Yeah. And what's the best course of action um, that you can take if you believe you've been unfairly treated? So obviously get advice. Um, your rights might differ depending upon which jurisdiction that you live in, uh, which state uh, of Australia. So as silly as that is, that's, that's the way our legislation works. So get advice, but also get advice reasonably quickly because there are time limits that apply when people want to bring a claim against an estate. Um, so go and see a lawyer. If you can't afford a lawyer, uh, go to a community legal service uh, and find out what those rights might be. John. And um, do you have any words of wisdom that you could leave for our listeners as we sign off? 
Well, I think, you know, it's it's very important to get advice in relation to your will generally um, because the law around this is not, it's not simple. There's complexity, as I've mentioned numerous times, you know, it differs depending on what state you, you live in. And when you make a will, if it doesn't actually give effect to what your intentions are, the flow on effect is enormous because once a person dies, we actually can't fix it. That is the document that we are stuck with. Um, so it's, you know, it's different than, you know, when you sign a contract and you make an error and we can just tidy it up. You don't have that opportunity with the will and the consequences can be dire, but they can also break families apart and they can cost a lot of money in the process. So ideally, get advice, make sure that the will actually achieves what you think it achieves and that it's effective to put those wishes into effect. That's the best thing you can do for your family and the people who you do want to provide for. Wise words, Angela. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with everyone. You're very welcome, Jay. Thank you for inviting me. So now that we've examined the outer aspect of death and wills, let's talk with Isabel Andrews from Jigsaw WA about the emotional aspects. Thank you so much for joining us today, Isabel. It's great to have you on the podcast. And good to be with you, Joe. I know that this topic has come up in our peer support groups and with people contacting our forced adoption support service. Is this something that you also encounter frequently? And is it a topic that you hear a lot of throughout your work um, at Jigsaw WA? Um, I wouldn't say frequently. I'd say occasionally. And sometimes it's individual clients who raise it with me. But I sometimes raise it at our support groups, particularly our mother's group. Um, which I did on Tuesday because I knew we were going to do this interview. And all of them said, oh, yes, I must think about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so it's that sort of um, just not wanting to think too deeply about those issues. Yeah, it's um, it's not a pleasant thing to think about. And, you know, my um, mother-in-law has like a blended family and even just for her and her husband thinking about those things, they put it off for years just because of the, you know, the issues that come up with what if one goes first, what happens, you know, so it's something they just put off for a long time. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, we heard earlier in the podcast from Angela Cornford scott about the legal aspects of when biological parents consider preparing their wills. What can you tell us about the emotional issues that are raised by mothers and or fathers, if you've heard any? Um, that's interesting because when I think about it, I haven't heard any from fathers. Um, <laughs> far fewer of them as clients. Yeah. Um, the, the emotional issues, as you know, can be incredibly complicated. And certainly I want to say at the outset that there's no right or wrong decisions. And really a lot of it is based on your views, on your broader beliefs around money and around family. And I know my experience, even just with friends, is that you tend to have sort of three types of thinking around it. There, I know friends who will divide everything equally. This is assuming that the bulk of the estate is going to go to the children. So that component of it. Um, I can think of people where they will divide it evenly, regardless of everyone's personal circumstances and personal wealth. And they're very clear about the importance of fairness throughout. Um, I have friends who it's according to circumstances. And so if you have a family that has a single parent, 
was one of your children and then you've got kids where they're married and both work, they might help the single parent a lot more and treat it differently. Obviously, if there's a child that's disabled or needs additional help, that's another factor that comes in. And then I guess for many people, there's a combination of those factors. You know, it's interesting that the program Insight on SBS, I think a couple of times has done um, some uh, show on uh, inheritance and it's extraordinary the variety of responses that people have. So that's obviously going to underpin how you deal with the adoption issues. And of course, they bring another layer of um, complexity. And that then depends on issues like how long the reunion has been going. There's obviously a lot of difference about how you may think of it. If you've been in contact with your child for you know, six months and if you've been in contact with them for 20 years, the type of relationship you have, and of course, that's going to change over time. I think one of the things that brought this to, to my um, thinking is a client that we've got where in our support groups, she has a blended family. So she has a child that she had to adopt out. She has two kids that she raised and she has two stepchildren. So a little bit like you're saying, the introduction to stepkids um, introduces another layer of complexities. And we discussed it, I would say, many, 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 many times over six, seven, eight years. And she just couldn't make a decision because she wanted her kids to know they were loved and she cared about them, all of them, regardless of they, how they came to be in the family. But she was also very conscious that the son that she adopted out comes from a reasonably wealthy adopted family and is an only child and he'll inherit um, a great deal. The stepkids um, have inherited already from their biological parents, but the marriage with her was over and so the kids she raised didn't inherit anything. And rather than upset anyone or, you know, she just found it too difficult to make a decision for many years. And so we talked about the importance of that not making a decision is making a decision and that that will be really difficult. And in the end, she decided that she, and she just has a really ordinary, modest um, estate. It's not as if there's um, a great deal of money at stake here. It's mostly her family home. So she's going to, she decided that she would leave it to the kids, her biological kids that she raised, but she discussed it with the son she adopted out and she discussed it with her stepkids and she has less, left each of them a small amount of money, but more importantly, she's left them um, some jewellery and bits and pieces and she's left them a letter. So even though she's spoken to them about it, She's also left them a letter so that if there's, you know, 20 years between her writing the will and her passing away, that that reinforces. And I think that's the most important thing, that it's talking about it, talking about it with uh, people while they're alive. And if you're unable to do that, to talk about it in um, leaving a letter for people. Is that your sort of experience as well, Joe? 
Yeah, um, I absolutely think so. I mean, we come from a background of where secrets aren't particularly good. And I think it's even more so um, when it comes to inheritance and the things that you're prepared for and understand, um, you know, come a lot easier at that time. And I'm just reflecting back on when I went to Sydney and I met with some relatives that I'd met through DNA and um, they told me a lot about the family and showed me photos. And one of them actually gifted me with a whole pile of just little knickknacks and relics that had belonged Mm. to my grandparents and great grandparents and that was such a bit you know none of them are expensive but they mean so much to me to have something of them and to know that somebody in the family has thought of me and that perhaps those relatives might have wanted me to have them and um and it was very comforting to me so I imagine it would be for anyone just being remembered in some way in that um in that will yeah exactly that sort of I can think of a client who when her birth mother passed away and they had contact um, and it was a a warm relationship but she absolutely didn't expect any money but her mother left her a ring which had been her mother's ring so this was going down to the third generation and her relinquished daughter was the first daughter to be born so it's that sort of link of that continuity through the ages and my client Christy was just thrilled like the ring itself wasn't worth a great deal but what it said is she had been thought about she was part of the family she continued this lovely link of a family um, heirloom not an expensive one but a family heirloom being passed through the generations and you know that's something that many, many parents could do without um, without it being a great uh, financial burden on them. Whereas I think the opposite is when I see people where the parent has passed away and they're not part of anything. They're not part of the will and that's okay. They haven't been left a letter. They haven't been left a token. Often they're not in the death notices they may not have been part of um, the discussion or mentioned in the eulogy or doing anything. And so that's such a sad situation to have this sense of, like it mirrors the position of many adopted people that you don't belong in the same way as other people. Yeah, That's it, and it triggers off those feelings of abandonment and rejection that um, adopted people, um, you know, feel and that can just sort of double down on those things. And we'll talk a little bit more later about um, funerals and services and that kind of things. But I was going to ask, um, you know, some parents might ask, what is the right thing to do? You know, how do you answer that? Um, I think the right thing to do is to leave, if you whatever decision you make, it doesn't, like the decision is yours to make, but leave information on how you've come to that decision because the thing that I find, and and we can talk about it later as well, whether it's the adoptive parents or the biological parents, when the child doesn't understand why they've come to the decision they've had, it sends you off onto tangents of other possibilities and you then can begin to feel unacknowledged and and unloved and withdraw further. It's... um, explaining it both to the child who's left behind but even to other children to the family like if everyone understands your reasoning as I explained for my client earlier it's a difficult conversation to have but she made herself have it and so the family knows where she sits with things 
And I think the other important thing is that um, things can change. So, you know, hopefully all of us, me included, and I have, <laughs> make our wills long, long, long before we die. And, of course, circumstances might change. So it's not setting concrete. It's understanding um, what your wishes are. And certainly for everyone, I think, but particularly for adopted people, it's about being acknowledged, just yeah. being left something or some words, some kindness, anything really, yeah. like this, like you talked about the knickknacks. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned earlier, we were talking about... Um, funeral services and the things that lead up to that. And that's something that can have an enormous impact on um, the people left behind, most specifically um, whether or how to include the child that you lost to adoption. So I was just wondering if you might tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, Adam, again, one of the, like, if it's a new reunion um, and not a not yet a very strong relationship, one of the issues is even how will the adopted person know that the um, natural mother or natural father has died? Um, I had a client where I received a frantic call. The um, uh, children of a biological mum had found some letters and realised that there was this other child they'd not known about and they wanted to let her know. And that's not a way that you want to begin a connection with a sister and for my client because she was in Perth and the funeral was over east there was not much she could do so I think step one is does someone in the family know how to contact um, the child that has been adopted out because if it's been a relationship that's not very strong no one's necessarily going to have a phone number so think about how that will happen then talk about as a family whether they will be included in the funeral notices, whether they'll be talked about in the eulogy, whether they're in photos, whether they'll be part of readings. And again, it depends on the strength of the relationship. It's again, the important thing is to talk about it with whoever will be organising your funeral, you know, whether it's your um, partner or spouse or other children and that um, and give the adopted person a choice and they might prefer not to be do a reading or be part of anything but again it's more that I've thought about you and I just want to discuss it with you. Now death and, and the loss of a parent is such a difficult time for the majority of people and for the adopted person, I think it's even more complicated because it raises those issues of where do I belong? You know, who is my family? Am I really part of this family at all? And if you're excluded, so I've seen many times when there's been a funeral notice um, and it says, you know, mother of these three kids and doesn't include the child who wasn't um, raised in the family. And for many people, that's very hurtful. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I lost my adoptive father in 2020 and one of the things that really stood out to me and made me quite sad was that when he died, um, my biological family, of course, were sad and and sympathetic about that, but it, he didn't mean to them what he meant to me and vice versa. Mm. When my mother or father dies from my biological side, um, 
my adoptive family will be sad, but they also don't have the same thing. So you're in this weird middle ground where you are the only person who um, kind of feels that way about the other two and realize what that loss is. So it can be, you don't want anything compounding that. Exactly. And and I think that's the value of that um, you, like us, have support groups for um, both uh, natural parents and for adopted people because truly they're the only people who do understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, on the weekend, Isabel, we had um, a booth at the Brisbane Care Expo and we got to talk to a lot of people um, from around Brisbane who had different stories. You know, as you would know, anywhere you go, someone brings you a story and tells you things. And one of the stories that we heard was about an adopted person who um, didn't know they were adopted until they were called over to their adoptive father's house. And he told them that um, they weren't going to be in the will because they're adopted. And, you know, kaboom. Um that's it. I just can't. That is just, that's absolutely a terrible thing to do. It's just, yeah, it's unfathomable, isn't it? Um, so that's another aspect is um, despite having legal inheritance rights as an adopted person, they sometimes can be left out of an adoptive parent's will and it can be done for many reasons, you know, a fractured relationship or feeling, like you said before, that another child needs money more, Um what can you tell us about the impacts for the adopted child who has not been recognised or recognised to a lower level, and especially if they haven't been told before the parent's death? Yeah, I think it is just so, so, so traumatising to do that. And I've got a client at the moment who um, recently happened to come across her adoptive mum's will and has discovered that she is going to get about a fifth of what her two brothers, who are biological, um, are going to get. And she's feeling, as you would expect, extremely distressed and upset, and it makes her question. She's always felt she's been treated differently. She's always felt different. And this is like a real objective evidence of it being different. Mm -hmm. And so you begin to question everything. Am I really loved at all? You know, why why am I being treated so differently to my brothers? And clearly her mum hasn't told her about it and this has only very recently happened, so it's just really difficult. I can think of another situation where um, the adoptive dad died, the mum had died earlier, and the estate basically went to the son. The family was an Italian one, and so uh, my client, who was the um, was a woman, she then and she didn't know. She was just really shocked. She had worked all her life for as a uh, young person, had a family, was married, had a good, comfortable life, and had really um, done all the things one would hope of a child. Her brother had done a bit of the drugs and the alcohol and unemployment and lived away from home. And she felt like her dad was rewarding him for making poor decisions and punishing her because she had made good decisions. And the sad thing is she then questioned, did dad really love me? You know, was it about love? Was it about the fact that he's Italian and that um, cultural issue of leaving things to the firstborn son? And because there had been no discussion, she was just confused, she was angry, she was hurt. And she just, she, what do you do with those feelings when, yeah. and her brother 
didn't like you would hope he would respond by saying of course that's not fair <laughs> but he didn't he just was really thrilled to bits that he inherited a house and so I think it's it's incredibly distressing and confusing when that happens yeah. let me I just want to give you an example of when something went wrong as well because mm -hmm. this was another case that um, really quite surprised me I had a natural mum who was in hospital on her deathbed so it was an unexpected illness and she knew she was terminally ill so she decided to write a will and she wrote, I leave my estate to all my children. No. Now, she was in contact with the child that she hadn't raised, but it wasn't a strong relationship, but he was hoping that it would become better with time. And so the family told him about her death and he attended the funeral. And when it came to the will, he um, thought, well, uh, mum is trying to cement our relationship by making me an equal part of the inheritance. Now, as you know, legally, that isn't correct, that all her children are her legal children, not her biological children, and the family interpreted in a legal sense. And they did give him a token amount, but certainly not an equal share. And really, it ruined the relationship. No one knew what the mum had meant because she hadn't discussed it. And the word all is not one that legally is, it's interpreted in a legal sense, not in a biological sense. So if you're making a will, it's best to be really clear, like it's best to get legal advice as, uh, as most people re would recommend and that you either name the children by name or you make it very clear who you mean. And... I think that uh, young man, it, it damaged him so much. I mean, he yeah. just, he couldn't come to terms with it and he couldn't, the relationship with his siblings um, became even more distant. So yeah. it's important to be clear. Yeah, definitely need to stipulate, don't you? And you can see why people kind of, um, you know, go back and forth on these things because adoption um, reunions, they aren't linear, you know. Sometimes they're up and sometimes they're down and sometimes they're nowhere at all. Um, and you can see why people might procrastinate over it going, I don't know, because at the moment I, I'm not feeling a lot and then, you know, so. Yeah. And the next thing you know, it's too late. Yes. And, yeah. and none of us knows. <laughs> no. We, we tend to assume it'll be when we're 80 something yeah <laughs> but you know we've got no control over that so all of us yeah. have to think about it and think carefully about it's not just about the money it's about the message that you're living leaving um, as to whether someone is someone you think about in your life and want to um, let them know that they're acknowledged I love that um, thank you so much. I mean, death is usually a time of great loss and sadness, but for those impacted by adoption, it can also be a time of great confusion. And I really appreciate your time in discussing this important issue with us and for bringing it to us in the first place with your amazing article, which we will put up on our podcast notes page, the link to that in our um, newsletter. But um, before we say goodbye, I just wanted to talk about some really sad news that we heard from you recently. Um, Jigsaw Western Australia will be permanently closing their doors in mid-December this year when your current funding contract finishes. And I am just absolutely so sorry to hear this. Why have you made this difficult decision? 
It has been a difficult decision and it's absolutely not to do with funding. The government's actually really disappointed because they now have to find um, other avenues to ensure that services in WA are still as um, extensive as they are now. It's really come, various things came to the fore at the same time. We, our core work is search and intermediary work. We do provide or I do provide counselling and we have a newsletter and support groups, but really it's research and intermediary work. And I'm sure you're aware that ancestry DNA is a huge factor now in the last, you know, five, six years and search angels and social media and Facebook and there are many, many sort of uh, sites that people just go on. I see in my own Facebook feed people asking questions in just ordinary groups, not even groups about adoption. And so we're finding that we have in the last few years um, had fewer clients who are seeking those services and sadly often coming when they've done it on their own and things have gone wrong. So we were aware that that um, role was diminishing so we took on the management of the donor conception register for donor-conceived people at the request of the health department and we thought, sadly, that's an area that's increasing while adoption fortunately has decreased substantially and that that would result, you know, that would um, be able to combine the services. But last year the health department decided they wanted to keep it under the health umbrella rather than an independent agency. So we were back to having to make decisions and just because we've all been around so long, both myself and the two admin staff are all in our 60s and 70s. And our main researcher said that she was going to retire at the end of last year. And so we had to make a decision as to whether to train people, which as you know, we provide a lot of information. So, and a lot of work around lots of areas, and it's not a job that you can walk in from another job. You know, it's no. not like one accountant can just swap to being an accountant somewhere else. So fortunately, she agreed to stay on for another year, which enables us to fulfill our contract. Um, and we just decided that given the change in our, the demand for the service, and the fact that we're all going to retire now or in the next year or two, that it was time to accept that. Um, I mean, it's good news in that there are so few adoptions mm. and that life has changed. But it is um, it has come as a shock to everyone so far. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just when I think of the enormous amount of knowledge and experience that you guys have that is going to be disappearing from our space, um, that is an enormous hole yeah. that you're going to leave behind. It's amazing because um, I've, well, I've worked in post-adoption since 1985 um, and it jigsaw for 22 years. And one of our researchers has been a jigsaw for 27 years. Wow. <laughs> so we've been extraordinarily consistent and um, many people come back and say, you helped me find my mum 14 mm -hmm. years ago. I'm now thinking of finding my dad. And a shock that um, that we're still here and the same people are still here. Yeah, that's incredible. I wonder if you might share with us some of the highlights that you've experienced and some of the achievements that Jigsaw WA have made over the years. 
Yes, I think really the main achievement is that since 1978, and that's pre the legislation changing, so most of it has been much after that, we have been we have done over 4,600 searches and reunions, intermediary work. Um, not everyone went on to meet, but the search and the work has been done. And in a state the size of WA, that's just such a huge number. Yeah. But there's been lots of things like, for example, we had our 40th anniversary and at a theatre and invited many people. And as well as the normal speeches one we'd have, we did playback theatre, which was um, a really interesting thing for lots of people to see. Some of the mums um, have written a book called Moments of Memory. And if anyone would like a copy, because we need to finish all those copies, if you go on our website, you can contact us and we'll send you a copy for free. It's mums, what is your website? Uh, sorry? What is your website, just so they can go on? www.jigsaw.org.au Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, carry on. And if you just put Jigsaw Perth, it'll come up. Okay. Um, we've done quite, I've done quite a few mother's retreats and I have one more in October, which is a great opportunity for women to spend time together. Um, not necessarily like the earlier ones focused on adoption issues more to an extent. They're just a, a way to spend time together, knowing that other people understand you. We Many years ago, I did a piece of research that uh, I contacted Nancy Verrier, the famous author of Primal Wound, and I initiated her coming to Australia, and we did a series of workshops around Australia. Which I remember were, hearing about that, yep. Yep, she was excellent. Um, I organised for you, Joe, to come to WA. You did. To do a <laughs> workshop for adoptees, which was also excellent. <laughs> And recently, um, I organised to subsidise adopted people who wanted to attend a Wim Hof retreat that was held in Perth, which is um, really extraordinary cold water therapy and breathing. And the young woman who was running it happens to be an intercountry adoptee who lives in the UK. So um, she was just excellent and it was another type of like there is talking therapy but she also talked about what helped her to come to a space of healing so there's just lots and lots and lots of things like I the good thing for me is that I will retire and that I leave feeling very happy with uh, my career there's a lot of people who don't like going to work I have never suffered from Mondayitis um, I've always enjoyed my work and I'm really lucky that we have such great staff aboard, some of whom have been on the board for 16 years. Wow. <laughs> so I think we're actually just all worn out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a real thing. I mean, this is um, particularly for people who are affected that would be on your board. Um, it, it can be um, overwhelming sometimes. I think this year for me has been a very overwhelming year in the adoption space and I've had to take like particular care um, of myself because it can it infiltrates so much of your life when you're working in that environment. So um, 16 years is really amazing um, and a great commitment on their behalf. Yeah, no, we, we've been very lucky um, and you're right that, you know, it's... Um, there are great highs, but there are also lots of distress and great lows and it takes your toll on everyone. And um, I think it's just, 
you know, the uh, government funding person I spoke to was totally unfamiliar with an agency choosing to close down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's usually they have to, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like saying, oh, I've never come across this before. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nice that you've been able to make that decision and not have it forced upon you. It's been something exactly. you've really been able to think about carefully. Yeah. It has. And I guess it's a bit sad in terms of the timing because we have got an inquiry that's happening at the moment. And I know from the experience in Victoria that there's likely to be an increase, like there is a little increase now, but there's likely to be further increase in demand for service when that all goes through. But that's a couple of years away still. Mm-hmm. And um, that also gives the government time to prepare for one that when that happens. And yeah. we've given them lots and lots of notice to prepare for um, how to replace us. So, yeah. so yes, it's the, as I said in my newsletter, it's the end of an era. Yeah, it sure is. And you're the only last remaining jigsaw. I know, what's going on? <laughs> it's only been Queensland and us that has survived since on. the 70s. <laughs> and people may not realise we all kind of started at the same place, but we're all incorporated yeah. in a separate um, organisations um, that Absolutely. have sprung up. Yeah. Yeah, and... We're the only two states that transitioned to hiring, like it was a self-help group for everywhere, and we're the only two states that transitioned to a professional model and being able to obtain funding. Yeah. So it's um, it's a good ending for us and you carry the baton forward. I hope we do you <laughs> proud, Isabel. <laughs> I mean, Jigsaw, Jigsaw WA has played such a crucial role in supporting and advocating for people affected by adoption. And we here at Jigsaw Queensland have enjoyed a great collaborative relationship with you. And I know that you're going to be sorely missed in our community. And I also wanted to just recognise your personal contribution. Having worked for Jigsaw WA, did you say it was 22 years? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You've been a light and support for so many people and I know that they will be joining me and wishing you and your amazing team a relaxing and well-deserved retirement and to your management committee and volunteers over the years, um, a massive thank you for your contribution also. Thank you, Joe. I feel exactly the same. So good to talk to you. It's been great to talk to you. And um, thank you to our listeners for joining us. I'll pop a link to Isabel's original article up on our episode notes page. And remember that you can go and grab that book from their website directly. They've got a few that they can um, give away. And if you have a story that you'd like to share with us um, and you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And just note that Adopt Perspective can be and is listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313, or you can call Jigsaw on 07 3358 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. 
Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.